Welcome to School of Movies. Ugh. Birdemic. Shock and terror. So, now you get a big payday with a big stock option, huh? Yeah, I earned it. All those big deals I did with NCT. And millions of dollars of revenues and sales. Well, you've done a great job, Rod. Meet Rod. Hi. A young software salesman on his way to achieving his Silicon Valley dream. Think about opening up a green tech company. Really? Meet Natalie, a beautiful young fashion model driven by passion. I remember you now. You were my English class. I was. Yeah. So how come you never made a pass at me in school? Throw true love into the equation and anything is possible. If you've not seen the film, that trailer is wholly accurate. In a commissioned show by Jameis Enright, we are delving back into the world of Nanar with Birdemic. With us again are Karu Nagisa. I got a fish. And Debbie Morse. I found some seaweed. <laughs> of Sequentially Yours. I want a happy meal. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Birdemic, much like The Room, was self-financed by its creator, James. Uh, now, it was pronounced in three different ways on the uh, um, the disc in various extras. Is it Nguyen or Nguyen or what? I always called it Gwyn. Gwyn. James Gwyn. That's how I've always pronounced that. Gwyn. Nee. Okay. Right. We'll go with James Nguyen. It cost slightly less than $10,000, and boy, does that show. And it took four years to film, or at least to produce, since like most of the filming was done in 2006, but it wasn't actually released until 2010. Uh, and that's in, it was filmed in Half Moon Bay, California, a coastal city that plays itself in the movie. Uh, they filmed without permits, rather like Miami Connection, although apparently Nguyen was fierce and angry at passers-by who wandered into shot during the bird apocalypse second half of the movie. Uh, Whitney Moore, the leading lady who plays Natalie, attempted to reason with James, and in response he sulked for three weeks and wouldn't talk to her. Luckily, they were usually only filming on weekends because everybody had day jobs, so that Cold War wasn't over a sustained period. But it does display how volatile and irrational the director was, at least during that moment. So he kind of fits the bill of uh, a Nanar producing creator now I've made crappy student films myself with budgets that wouldn't quite cover a meal for the cast but I was always aware that being considerate with the public and your actors and crew who are often the same people even and especially during times of stress is paramount otherwise the movie becomes no fun to make at all and you might get arrested Nevertheless, Nguyen used leading man Alan Bagg to communicate his direction to the leading lady over that period 
So, Alan, would you please tell her I'd like her to smile more? I'm that- not an owl! <laughs> it's kind of like... <laughs> Whitney Moore was also on makeup detail after the first two ladies quit. So, again, this has got Nanar hallmarks. Uh, and they used fake names in the credits to feign legitimacy. Are you telling me that credit sequence I at the end it. was longer than it needed to be? I told you that makeup was not done by a professional. But she did her best. Uh, now, this film is pushing an environmentalist and anti-war sentiment, and that I applaud. It's wearing its colours on its sleeve, and frequently it pauses to lecture the audience, even if it doesn't pull up much in the way of figures. At least not enough to make this a PowerPoint presentation with bird murder. And James Nguyen has embraced the circuit of Nanar screenings that his film got in subsequent years, much like Tommy Wiseau. And he's happy that the movie gives people a good time and keeps him in a minor limelight. Uh, in, in the uh, screenings, he comes out like holding a coat hanger, which is one of the uh, weapons they briefly arm themselves with from uh, that hotel. Now, in January 2009, Nguyen travelled to the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, to promote the film Freelance. He was handing out flyers to passers-by from his van, which was adorned with stuffed birds and paper signs that read bidemic.com. Uh, which he had spelled wrong in his haste. And why did the eagles and vultures attacked? Renting out a local theatre to, to screen the film. Word of mouth eventually gave Birdemic attention from horror movie websites Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting, and that was his foot in the door of the bad movie screening circuit. Now, unlike The Room or Troll 2 or Miami Connection, I found watching this movie for the second time tedious and annoying. It has a very repetitive edge to it that makes laughing harder to sustain, even when we watched it the first time around. It's a disaster, that's for sure, but not what I would call a disaster piece, in that it doesn't have that hypnotic quality of varied badness that the above three films have. So, for example, like, there's no moment that, like the popcorn moment in Troll 2, where you're like, what the, what the fuck did that come from? It, it all seems to sort of have its own internal logic and be just kind of riffing on the same three things over and over again. They go to a new place in Half Moon Bay and talk to some people, birds attack, and they shoot them with their guns and escape. But my angle on this one is far more technical. We can actually learn from this movie, and here's how. The way James Nguyen handles sound is exceptional in films insofar as he gets almost everything wrong for the duration and if you're an aspiring filmmaker you can listen closely and you can train yourself to never make the same oversights if you aren't a filmmaker and you just want a better understanding of the craft of film it is equally useful so a consistent soundscape is key to the magic trick of cinema because in every film we see multiple shots filmed at different times, often on different days, but arranged with a consistent ambience in the background. However, in Birdemic, the director was unaware of the importance of this, and each shot has its own unique sound, polluted by incidental background noise that was going on during the filming of that portion. Sometimes the dialogue is deafeningly loud, and sometimes it's mumbled. With each cut coming every few seconds, this creates a patchwork of audio fragments, cars going by, generators in stores and restaurants, wind, the ocean, muffled dialogue from people who were not involved with the film, and these intersperse with segments of absolutely haunting silence. Not for the effect of unsettling the viewer, but an after-effect of not recording anything in particular to go with that particular shot. Imagine having a dictaphone or an MP3 recorder or a vox tube and walking around the city you live in for a day, taking a few seconds of verbal notes every few minutes, then go home and listen to the resultant 93 minutes of jumbled footage. That's what watching this film sounds like. 
As an audio engineer myself, it was like being poked in a tender area for about an hour and a half. Those who want to understand framing and composition should also take close note of everything done in this film. Nguyen has no idea what specific shots mean, as in what they traditionally convey to a viewer. The opening car driving sequence has a drunken listing quality slumping diagonally by the middle end, which usually entails a sense of near delusion and time becoming fluid in a dreamlike way. But what it's actually attempting to establish is total normality, the tone for the first half of the film, because it's basically just normal, 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 hits the halfway point, then utter chaos. Almost immediately afterwards, when our hero goes into a restaurant to order some food, six shots are allocated to his waitress's approach, switching angles in the most awkward of fashions and overloading the viewer with visual information to be taken in far too fast, as though this is the Rashomon of coffee orders. <laughs> this isn't even a technique alien to blockbuster cinema. The Taken sequels and James Bond's Quantum of Solace have an editing style which prizes more shots than it needs to, all of them delivered in too short a space of time. And especially in the case of Quantum of Solace, this isn't even only during the action sequences. It's in scenes where 007 walks into a room and talks to M in a calm fashion. It's going cut, 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 cut. We don't need that many shots. But regards to what I was saying about what shots mean, one very striking frame amid various sound quality changes has the waitress towering over our hero center screen in an intimidating fashion. If this was the story of a man terrified of short order stuff, it would be a powerful piece of filmmaking. But that's not the story being told at all. In fact, that scene is only there so that Rod can spot Natalie, an old school friend of his, and get up to follow her out the front door of the restaurant and down the street. The restaurant didn't need to be there at all. The fact that he has a half-drunk cup of coffee and orange juice appear on his table while he's still looking at the menu immediately tells us we're in a world where time can slip by like we have collective dementia and cause and effect no longer apply. It's very unnerving, and like I said, it's all done in service of establishing normality, not tension. What follows in the next 14 seconds is this exact scene. Your ears do not deceive you. Hey! Here is a menu. Thank you. I'll be right back with you. The moment-to-moment -moment editing is absurdly specific regarding mundane events like driving to work or to a restaurant. Even when the world goes to shit, the characters breeze from one sunny, peaceful spot to the another, as though on a roving two-day picnic crawl. Rod seems stricken with constipated worry the whole way through, while his new girlfriend Natalie can't stop smiling. But this doesn't appear to be a narrative statement on their opposing outlooks on life, and it kills what tiny amounts of tension might be caused by the bird attacks. And these meandering, idyllic struggles for survival all take place within the framework of the many shots. The film never calms down long enough to really establish who these people are and why we should care whether they are bird food or not. It isn't a frantic scattergun of dramatic moments like Quantum of Solace. It's more of a continuously angle-changing promotional vacation video for Half Moon Bay, California, with appropriately easy-listening music and plenty of mid-shots as people hop back and forth along the coastline, through the woods, and then visit their many, many gas stations. However, when the unusual does occur and birds attack in droves, the camera locks in place as the terrible CG descends, creating the opposite of the chaotic, frenzied, 28 days later mood Nguyen may have been going for. There is no exact science for filming 
attention, but there needs to be a visual language that tells the viewer when something is changing. Establishing a natural rhythm for the sections where life is carrying on as normal keeps us from becoming uneasy when we shouldn't be, and changing focus and pace lets us know when something is up. To go from a gentle, watchable series of shots where everything is possible to calmly take in, to then, when the threat of danger is introduced, cruelly hold and extend sequences where we want there to be a cut or a break to the tension, but the director and editor won't grant that, conveys to the audience that shit is going down, with a steadily rising heartbeat of potential disaster for the natural equilibrium that's already been established. In effect, you've told people there's a bomb under the table and it could go off at any moment. Then you could be decreasing the span of time between shots as the tension reaches boiling point, which conveys the appropriate change in pace and slams the audience engagement home. Nguyen again doesn't concern himself with this kind of parity between editing and events. People are killed amid uneasy sections with no build-up or payoff almost always so swiftly that if you're busy laughing or drinking beer, you will miss the removal of a character from play, and it might take several minutes for everyone else in the room to tell you what happened to them. All the elements at a director's disposal are squandered. Music never matches the scenes it is foisted in, with almost always too relaxed for the apocalyptic setting. Characterization of the main heroes is bare minimal, and none of what they do in their normal lives contributes in any way to how they cope with Birdemic. Again, we are handed comical specificity about Rob's transponster job and Natalie being a model, but none of it pays off. They may as well have been a happily married pair of trapeze artists for all the development they get. And then there's the effects. Probably the worst CGI you will ever see in a film, with 90s screensavers outstripping these birds in terms of complexity and realistic organic movement. It is basically the same three overlaid shots with occasional CG fire and explosions pasted on. There's some birds zooming towards the camera, some birds zooming to either the left or the right, and finally some birds very slowly hovering in the middle of the screen with their backs to us, blocking our view partially of the people or motel or car behind them those are the three shots the only things that change are how they are combined if peter jackson had wanted something to intersperse with the storyboards while he was planning out his eagle sequences and needed wetter to come up with something in an hour but not to show anybody important just to visualize a scene you could imagine that these effects might be what they may have come up with in the late 90s and they would still be deficient in terms of conveying avian motion either because it would be too expensive otherwise, or in a bid for consistency, James Nguyen elected to only ever use this barrel-scraping CG to represent his birds. The ones they see in the trees when everything is going fine in the earlier stages are made of these polygons. The dead one they find on the beach is the same. And I refuse to believe that they couldn't locate a stuffed bird to use for close-up examining, so our only conclusion has to be consistency. Speaking of which, the sound effects used are the same grating seagull squawks and generic eagle cries repeated every minute for the second half of the movie. Within two uses of each, most viewers would be happy never to hear them again, and yet Nguyen persists well beyond tedium and into insanity.
and nearly always they are fended off by these regular people getting more gun-happy than a Resident Evil game, firing off round after round from a swiftly obtained infinite arsenal in sequences that just get repeated over and over and usually end in more people getting killed than birds. A strong statement about gun culture in America, or a misapplied bid to capture a raw action movie sensibility. In doing so, he tells the story of a strange world inhabited by creatures that look like people, but something is off with every single one of them, and they don't think or reason or act or talk in the way that we understand people to. And this world is, for the span of a day, afflicted with an attack from savage screensavers that leave this species in tatters, arguing over gas prices, sermonising about global warming, and trading bullets for squawks. In summation, and before we take you through this whole wretched ordeal, it is manifestly Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, remade by a man who got about as far as the central conceit. Birds attack a town, a couple who have only just recently met are caught in the middle, and then they stop there. Rather than carefully studying Hitchcock to understand why he's so renowned at handling tension and keeping the audience captivated, Nguyen simply rolled in there and made a film because he wanted to, learning nothing along the way, and was lucky enough to achieve notoriety with the mess that he made. He then made a sequel, Birdemic 2, and he's threatening to make a third, though he promises it will be his last film. My conclusion, again, is that this does have a use as a reverse yardstick to teach young filmmakers in particular who might go charging in and give everybody a bad time what not to do. It might take quite a bit of study to learn what to do, but this is the kind of film you make while learning that and then wisely never release. We'll start at the beginning with the woozy opening sequence that features the following music, accompanied by a real-time car journey from one place to another. Uh, from I think it's from his house to a restaurant. Which, for some reason, the whole thing is just the view over the dashboard, but at a 30 to 45 degree angle. Yeah. Just to ensure that everybody watching feels as sick as is possible. It does make one ill. Um, yes. So, yeah, like you guys, by all means, jump in at this stage. Um, oh, yeah. This- was this the first, <laughs> second, third, fifth time you'd seen Pandemic? Um, it's, it was my third time seeing it. Um, Anna, Debbie, what was your... It was actually my first time seeing it. Oh, um, and, and welcome. When, we, when I first watched The Room a couple of years ago... Mm-hmm. Um, I asked I asked Karu about it because, of course, you know, I'd heard of Birdemic, you know, oh, it's legendary bad movie. And he's like, oh, it's not. It's more kind of boring. And now that I've seen it, I'm like, yeah, I full disclosure, we watched this with the riff tracks. Ah. I, don't, I don't think we could have. I don't think I could have gotten through it without the riff tracks. <laughs> I really don't because that the movie is just boring <laughs> it I, none of the like nobody involved i don't think anybody involved in this gave a sh- gave a shit about making a movie at all 
Which is weird, because it was Gwyn's second film. He had already made a movie with Tippi Hedren in it. Yeah, it, it features in this. It's called uh, Julian Jack. Yeah, he made uh, Julian Jack, which had Tippi Hedren, and he includes a little bit of footage from that on the TV, so technically he got Tippi Hedren into this film. It's a note on the back of the Blu-ray. We got the Blu-ray for this. Oh! Yeah, uh, oh. It, it says featuring Tippi Hedren. It's like, that's a bit of a lie, though, isn't it? <laughs> Like, blink and you'll miss it. And honestly, uh, this is the second time we saw it, and I still didn't spot that footage. Um, It still kind of blows my mind, because I'm like, I'm assuming these are, and, and I didn't, I don't, you know, know the research about the actors that played uh, Natalie and Rod. But I would think, I mean, are they, are they're not aspiring actors? They don't, you know, they don't, they're not at least trying to be good actors? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Greg Sestero tried. Yeah, he did. <laughs> did he, though? Oh, man, I just can't figure women out. Sometimes they're just too smart. Sometimes they're flat-out stupid. Other times they're just evil. Yeah. I have to say, I do think that the, the actress that played Natalie was probably, of all the performances, hers was the best. It didn't seem particularly uh, polished. Whitney or, Moore, this is. Yeah, I... I it didn't seem as though she was like a particularly uh, high quality actress, but she at least seemed to be able to convey the idea that I'm playing a fictional character and this person has motivations. I don't know what they are beyond wanting to be a model, um, but um, but she's the most convincing person in it. Natalie. Hi again. I was wondering if we can keep in contact. Sure, and here's my card. Here's mine. It's good talking to you. Same here. Again, it was nice talking to you. I, I worked out, well, I found where the Tippy Hedron bit. Of course, I didn't notice it both times, and I don't think anyone noticed it. It's the bit in the hotel where Natalie goes off and then comes back in a, a blue bra and panties, and is like, Hey, how's it going? And like ah. they, they they then kind of roll on the bed a little <laughs> bit awkwardly. What do you think? You look fine. <laughs> behind her, Tippy Hedren's on the TV, and it's like no one was looking at the TV. No, what well, a wasted <laughs> shot! While on the subject of that scene, by the way, what she says when she comes out is well. What, what do you, do you think? think? That is a terribly disingenuous thing for a woman who looks like her to say. And who is a model. <laughs> Jeez. A soon to be a lingerie model. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she mentions about six minutes into a chat with her mum. Oh, by the way, I got the Victoria's Secret job. She mentions like, that wouldn't about, be the first thing she'd say. Yeah, but she mentions about two minutes into her chat with Rod, who she's only just met again. Oh, yeah, I got the job at Victoria's Secret. And his response is, you're going to look awesome in that lingerie. Brilliant. That's not a thing you say to someone that you're trying to charm. <laughs> That just makes you sound skeezy. Okay, so let's let's talk because we're going to jump around in the whole film. Otherwise, let's 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 oh, yeah. ground this thing. So there's that opening sequence with this music, which I'm going to play again because they do.
Yeah. It's just on a loop. It's just yeah. like well, nah, 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 nah. Lap, and when you right? when you're just finished being sick, they start playing it again. <laughs> Every time those strains come up, it's it's like it's hive inducing. Yeah. I feel sick. If I played I that, those first few yeah, it'd be like a dog sensing something terrible oh. coming into the garden. God. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like uh, James Gwynn, much like Tommy Wiseau, got all of the wrong lessons from Hitchcock. Mm. Like, okay, I have to be a jerk. I have to find the theme and play it over and over again. Yeah. And that makes a great movie, right? No. Because, because hearing that theme over and over again, I'm, I'm thinking of the Psycho theme and how frequently that's played and started over and over again. But that's mm. played purposely and strategically mm. and for a reason. Whereas this is just played to fill time. Um, it, it, it does make me nervous, which I think kind of works for the tone of the film. But like I said, the... The, the first 45 minutes... It's like from Dust Till Dawn. You know when it suddenly turns around and it's like, yeah. oh, you thought it was going to be this kind of film? It's totally not. But it doesn't make you nervous about the birds. It makes you nervous about the ability of the filmmaker to yeah. put something together that's going to not make you want to hit things. Yeah. <laughs> it is at that. Um, we, we watched the, the birds today and the, 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 the Hitchcock one and the... The big difference, the huge difference between this, is that if no birds had turned up, Hitchcock had an interesting enough story of this, um, you know, kooky, slightly obsessive woman, um, you know, tracking down this guy just so she can go, ha, to him with some lovebirds uh, and you yeah. know, give him a gift. That that film could have played out in an interesting enough way were there no bird strike at all. Mm. This is- film... <laughs> This is Hitchcock, though, isn't it? It's it's it starts out. His stuff is basically um, sort of vaguely tense human drama mm-hmm. um, that that is playing out the way it plays out, and you get engaged in the characters and what's going on the tw- on between them, and then some shit happens. Yes, yeah. Stephen King does the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the dark reflection of Steven Spielberg, yeah. who takes ordinary people in fairly ordinary situations, makes you like them, and then twists it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a dinosaur in there. Unexpectedly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, the. Also, I was wondering why the subtitle? Why wouldn't just Birdemic on its own be good enough? Yeah. Yes. It, I will grant them this. That's a pretty great title. Or Birdemic. Birdemic. Yeah. Yeah, Birdemic. Just Birdemic. I'm like. It's punchy. That, that's, yes, it's punchy. It indicates what it is. It. I would be interested to see a movie named Birdemic if it wasn't this one. <laughs> I think I would be interested were it not for the Sharknado set. Now, Sharknado comes from... Is it the Asylum who made that? I'll check. I'll check that. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, check that. Hold on. I w- the Asylum, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, no, oh, it is. The oh, Asylum okay. are not the distributors of Nanar. The, the Asylum are cynical and low-grade. That's not the same thing. 
that's that's where you purposefully go out of your way to make a bad movie, uh, especially that one that will get confused with other ones. Now with Sharknado, they just kind of thought of something silly, and it was the sort of thing that like drunken frat boys would go, "Oh, dude, a Sharknado!" It does exactly what it says on the tin, and thus it it basically scored with exactly the right set. It's cheap, it's quick, and you can pitch it in an elevator. Yeah, but then that mm-hmm. spawned a whole bunch of other Sharknado style films. So it's like sh- half shark, half tank. And like they, they all sound a lot funnier than they actually are to sit down and watch. Right. So you say half shark, half tank. Mm-hmm. Guess what my brain thought? Somehow the shark has merged with its, its aquarium. own tank. It's still immobile, but it sounds terrifying. You mustn't go near it. Yeah, absolutely. In Soviet Russia, shark tanks you. Um, so yeah, but yeah, but the, the shock and all. Shock yeah. and terror yeah. uh, weakens the, um, the the birdemic thing, and uh, I, I, I got to yeah, say, you're expecting shock and or terror, yeah, and neither happens. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a, it, it then like it, it it doubles down on its title and promises you that there will be shock and terror, which it can't possibly live up to because it's then hilarious. Uh, to, you know, I, I don't want to like you know make this less good for people who really like Birdemic. If you really like Birdemic, that's cool. If you can put up with it being boring and repetitive, that's cool. Um, and there are, you know, the, it made us laugh the first time. It's just that it doesn't last mm. in that same way that you know when you watch a really great movie and then when it's done, you want to want to watch it again. And then every time you watch it subsequently, it actually gets better, like Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a, that's like a great nanar where you you go back in and, and you like. Maybe a Nanar can't stretch to 15 views. Well, but, I like, think... the subsequent times when you're kind of on board with it, that's why the screenings with the spoons are funny. Yeah, I think the, the difference between this and other Nanar movies that we've really enjoyed and got a lot out of going back to is that they have a hook. There is something that that keeps you coming back to it. There is certainly something that makes the humour sustain for the duration of the movie so like Miami Connection the fact that it was this really genuine piece of work that was yeah done by somebody who really didn't know what they were doing but at least he knew what he wanted to do and he could fight um, and, and it he could bleeds fight sincerity. So, exactly that movie absolutely bleeds sincerity absolutely mm. and then like you say the fact that you've actually got competent fighting going on means there is at least something that works um, and Jim hold on Jim the room you, you, <laughs> it's, it's bad it's terrible the performances are awful but they're a new level of awful and, mm. this, and the screenplay keeps giving Hmm. Every scene, there is a line or two that's just pants-wettingly ridiculous. What are these characters <laughs> doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> Good I, I think, I want to say the Nostalgia Critic said something along the lines of every single line is wrong, but it's wrong in a very fascinating, unique way. Absolutely. <laughs> they all throw themselves into it 110%, hmm. and it, it goes totally over the top, and none more so than, than Tommy Wiseau. It's passion. Exactly. Yes, there, there the is, passion a, of Tennessee Williams. It's an entirely different <laughs> kind of passion than the kind that you get in Miami Connection, but it is passion. And this Troll doesn't have yeah. had passion. It again. It was a twisted kind of passion. Twisted from and weird this, and this, disgusting. This like crazy Italian husband and wife combo who were mean to everyone. Absolutely. But can you? Whose passion am I thinking of? That just oh, Creed and Leonor Gilgood. So much. It contains sap from the forest. Okay, I promise I will stop playing this theme tune now. 
when you guys are watching Birdemic next, watch um, uh, Natalie when uh, Rod is talking to her mum. She's got this face on her where she's like sort of hair and she's sort of like looking to the side. It looks like Credence Leonard Gilgood's sex face. It's... (laughs) She's kind of like, ha. And it's like totally inappropriate for the scene because Rod's talking about his boring work. But, you know, she's spicing it up. I don't think on purpose, but like it may just be... She had that Barbie thing going on where she's like, I, my face hurts from smiling all the time. But this, I think what what I find really off-putting about it is the fact that the only thing that appears to be delivered with any kind of passion is that underlying um, climate change yeah. message. We have to look after envi- our environment, otherwise it might start start striking back. He does say it could be Hurricane Katrina. When, when he was uh, doing, this is Nguyen uh, doing his like uh, stand up in front of drunken frat boy screaming audiences all getting go- like being asked questions like why is your movie so awesome which is like okay cool yeah. Uh, but yeah he said it could be Hurricane Katrina meaning this like the birds are simply an allegory for nature striking back mm. yeah but even those parts are delivered with a marked lack of enthusiasm yeah um and he doesn't appear to have the uh data the, the faith in his own message mm. if if that's really what he's trying to achieve then he needed to throw himself into it with way more oomph also um this the film this actually reminds me of most more so than the birds is actually one of the worst Shyamalan films anybody the happening the, the happening, happening. <laughs> Basically, in the... The burdening. The burdening. (laughs) In the happening, um, trees hate people. Uh, In um, Birdemic, birds hate people. But it's effectively the same story. It's Mother Nature striking back and people come off far worse. Uh, Which, again, you know, works for any kind of environmental allegory. We've been, just in the past few years, devastated by storms. And and each time one c- turns up, there is a genuine fear. Now that we can sort of like, we can plan ahead, but there's this like my I have friends who live in that area, and like you know, it, could everyone please get out of here? Like the world, it's it's not striking back at us. The after effects, the ripple effects of our um, footprint on this planet are kicking our asses now. And I mean that they always kind of have done, but this is it's got a, a death toll to it. And uh, it's it's not funny. It's the kind of thing that, like, we really need somebody in charge who is totally on board with climate change and, you know, ensures that America is not the one country in the world who disagrees with the whole climate peace accord thing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, watching Birdemic, it's like, you see, this is going to happen now because America's denying bird change. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway... Um, but let's bring us back to the uh, to Rod in his restaurant. He he goes to see Natalie on the street because she he, does he remember her? Were they in class together or what? They were in English class together. He right. sat behind her. He has a very very specific memory of her, and she completely forgot he existed. Which which leads me to believe that this is a nice guy TM. Oh. That- he he was a stalker type. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, remember when remember when I picked up your books after you dropped them? Huh? That was me. Remember that ah. guy who used to smell your hair? 
Yeah. Yeah. This, this is also kind of alluded to in the fact that they have their conversation out on the street and she sort of turns around and says, okay, bye. And he watches her walk away for an inordinately long amount of time, <laughs> then runs after her. And then she turns around and says, oh, hi again. Like they've just bumped into each other accidentally further yeah. down yeah. the street. No, no, he followed you. So what can you guys tell me about Rod? What are his defining characteristics? He's a software salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't pronounce the word solar panels very well. What does he say? Oh, you mean solar panels? Solar panels. Solar panels. But does do a million dollars worth of deal in a day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Apparently. A million dollars. Lots of round numbers in this. Yes. Uh, now, you'd imagine that James Nguyen wasn't familiar with um, the, the actual business of that he, what he's talking about. I believe he worked in software. Business. <laughs> I'm questioning whether he was fully familiar with the English language. Yeah. It it feels like this is he's a this is his second or third language. I think that's probably the case. Looking at him doing the um uh the the pre-show stuff, um his his command of English doesn't seem massively strong, but it would be nice to think that his actors could translate the script to something coherent. That sounds like words people would say. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was like Troll 2 where they tried and were told, nope, uh, no, 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 no. Do, do it the way it's written on the page. All four of the films we're talking about, <laughs> Troll 2, Two Italians, Tommy uh, Wiseau, God knows where, and yeah. YK, YK Kim from Korea, um, all of, none of them have English as a first language. I think this might actually kind of be a hallmark of uh, Nanar films that like frequently... There is a language barrier which prevents a certain level of like cultural finger on the pulse, if that makes sense. I, I don't think that's, that's not me saying bloody foreign directors coming in here no, taking no. our films. No, I'm just. I get, I, I think it, I, it seems like there might be something. Yeah, blocking. I, I think I understand what you mean, but I I don't think that's necessarily a prerequisite for the simple reason that all of those cultures have a really thriving home cinema. Mm. Um, uh, market, you know the the stuff that they make in Korea and Italy. There's some really high quality stuff. Yeah. So it's yeah. not as if it's it's they they don't understand the making of film. It might be that they're trying to. In Yuyan's face, I think he doesn't understand the making. Well, of film. no, that's what no. I mean. The individuals <laughs> do don't. Sorry, but the the cultures themselves, obviously. I'm do. not saying Italians but... don't know how to make films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that if an Italian came over with only a tenuous grasp of English and then got a whole crew of uh, English-speaking Americans and tried to communicate with them and was quite crabby and unhelpful Mm -hmm. and truculent, there might be a bit of a gap in terms of getting across what he wants said. I think what is possibly the more crucial element is the trying to mimic Hollywood... Hmm. On a shoestring. I don't think they could afford yeah. a shoestring on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they could, because that's what all the birds were tied to. Oh, you wish. <laughs> you wish these were crappy practical effects. That would give it some charm. <laughs> Honestly, like if, if they were being menaced by crappy practical effect birds, that would at least be something. Yeah. But yeah. instead, the, the, the constantly repeating same birds over and over again kind of have a crapness about them that defies even being laughed at. Yeah. 
Then the yeah. way they they hover, there are parrots at one point doing the hummingbird thing of yeah. uh, flapping next to a tree yeah. in order to <laughs> eat the fruit. That's not how parrots work. So what are the defining? Now that we've firmly established Rod and uh, what his li- li- likes and dislikes are, what his dreams are, what his yeah, you know, w- what kind of man he is, what motivates him, the, all that stuff, business with him and his father, you know, all of that stuff about Rod. Um, now now we've got to go into the epic of uh, Natalie and what defines her. Um, could you define Natalie? Oh, absolutely. Do we have to do this um, alphabetical style, yeah. <laughs> where, you, where you, you can't describe what their uh, what their job is, yeah, or yeah. what? Uh, oh, wow! Natalie um, is overly smiley. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I will tell you that yes. Natalie smiles in some of the most inappropriate situations. <laughs> oh, an old man just died. Natalie was in the. English class with Rod. Mm-hmm. She sat in front of him. That we know. Uh, she has a mom. She does have a yes, mom. She, has, she does. Yeah, she has family. That's and her mom is. She's there. always been supportive of her modeling career. Oh, I, I broke the rules. I said she was a model. Mm. Yeah. Uh, now you guys know all about her. That's it. So moving on. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, well, she's best friend. But yeah, she does. And her best friend is suddenly appears in this gratuitous pre-sex scene that refuses to become an actual sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it wants to spite the audience, clearly. Well, particularly since... Right, okay, this this seems particularly unfair, yeah. this, this uh, no-sex scene, because we've already met the gentleman mm-hmm. that uh, Natalie's best friend is about to do the bad thing with. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of Rod's he's other one boys. Of Rod's, Rod's friends, and he has the emotional coherence of a 12-year-old. Uh-huh. <laughs> Much like everyone in this movie. <laughs> when Rod is explaining to him that he's just met this really nice Victoria's Secret model, he basically does the the pelvic thrust, you got to do that, otherwise it's a wasted date. Oh my god! When we, when we get to this bit with these two, I wanted to say to that poor girl, just run. He's only here for the sex. Just run. You're already wearing a bathing suit. Jump in the water and swim, swim away. away. <laughs> There's like um, an advert for their website, just blue tacked to the wall. It's written in Arial font. I think it's Arial. It's the same font so as at the beginning of the film, I was say, which is a very unusual Yeah. Is. Just Imagine be it's not Comic Sans. Is it? It's a biscuit of <laughs> Comic, Comic Sans takes work. They would have had to change the font. It's imaginepeace.com, right? And it's like, ooh, is this like an ARG or something? Do we have to go to imaginepeace.com and find out more stuff? But it's just sort of blue tack to the wall, like this Easter egg that's just above them. And what? Do, what is Imagine Peace? Um. A website? A reference, uh, reference to a John Lennon song, in a way? Yeah, it is. Um, they actually play uh, the um, sort of a Muzak version of Imagine <laughs> later on, in a kind of way that's like, you didn't pay the Lennon estate for I think this, it, did you? I think that was MIDI. I'm oh, pretty sure that MIDI. was MIDI. Sorry, yes, absolutely. MIDI, <laughs> is, MIDI is pretty much responsible for all the uh, sound in this film. Yes. <laughs> uh, Which actually... Now that you say this, sorry, sorry, if, if, if you weren't finished, Alex, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm done, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, no stick a fork in me. <laughs> stick a bird in me, I'm done. It just occurred to me, like, how have they not met before, considering the fact that if 
Rod and this guy are good friends, apparently. Mm-hmm. And Natalie and this girl are good friends. That's a good point. That's a very yeah, good I point. I want to know that. Why you meet people through people. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. this guy is always engaged in sensual business. Yeah. So he, he doesn't want Rod around He's always doing that, that thing. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the, he drives around. He gets gas. They take an inordinate amount of time to showing him driving to a gas station, getting gas, and then driving back to his work. It's I just thought that... Like, it's Redemic, I told you we could make feature length, Mom. Yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like they got to an hour and 15 minutes, and then the distributor said, you got to build this up to an hour and a half. And God knows how much just file footage was shoved back into the uh, the, the cut to, to extend it and expand it to feature length. But, um, yeah, this this is one of those. Wow. What? Okay, imaginepeace.com yeah. is Yoko Ono's website. Whoa. Okay, so there's that. Wait a minute. So does that mean? Did they? Do you think he asked Yoko Ono, "Can I have permission to use Imagine?" And she said, "Sure, as long as you put a little Imagine piece uh, advert in your movie." And so they stuck it to the wall during that scene. But he didn't really want to commit to it, so as with the Tippy Hedron thing, he stuck some boobs in the frame as well. Mm. Also, she yeah. has it on her T-shirt later yeah, on. Yeah, she does. She's she loves Yoko Ono's website so much. She has it on her own T-shirt, just the website address. I thought that was her website. I thought that her job was like that. She was a anti-war like lobbyist or something. I thought that was supposed to be the implication there. That Imagine Peace is like a non-profit. Hmm. That that would kind of make sense. Um, the fact that she's spending the work day hanging out in motel rooms with um, unemployed basketball players. Um, yeah. So many would, motel would rooms in this film. Idea. There are motel yeah. rooms that I'm willing to bet they didn't have permission to film in. Yeah, or to trash the bed. No, I was just about to uh, say that. <laughs> I, didn't he get her number because she does her glamour shots at a one-hour photo, and then yeah. he phones up and says. Hey, how's it going? Can I, you know, I just got a deal on my business. Can I ask you out? I know a great Vietnamese restaurant. And she's like, oh, that'd be lovely. I like sales. It fits my personality. Uh, What do you like to do for fun? Watch football, especially the 49ers. Also, part-time Eagles fan. And a little exercise. Tennis. How about you? Did you spot James Nguyen in the said restaurant? I did not know. Was he in there? Yeah, he Hitchcocked himself into the frame. He's just... Oh. He's, it's, 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 it's the sort of role that Hitchcock would have taken. He's just sort of sitting there ordering some Vietnamese food, which is way better than making yourself the most important writer who ever lived, M. Night Shyamalan, Lady of the yeah. Water, looking at you. There's a bit where he gets visited by a solar panel salesman. Hi, my name is Jerry Owens. I'm from Solar Power Accessories. Uh, we have an appointment today. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. It in no way, I mean, it, it doesn't actually inform on his character or the plot of the movie in any way. It simply reinforces the message of the movie, which is, I mean, I, I feel like they almost didn't commit to this section enough because the guy comes in and says, right, uh, so if you have uh, solar panels on your roof, basically uh, see a penny profit for five years. And he goes, uh, and he goes, how much is it going to be? 10,000. Would you do it for... Nine thousand. And he goes negotiation. Yep. And he goes yep. And then we move on to the next scene. It's like 
Okay, so he's kind of environmentally conscious. That's nice. I wonder if that'll play into the film. It doesn't. <laughs> no. Uh, Rod's whole um, solar panel sales pitch feels like it was edited out of order. Mm-hmm. Like, he gives the set what was clearly the second half of the thing where he explains what all of these facts and figures mean. Mm-hmm. And then he gives the facts and figures. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's, it's, it's yeah. Well, no one will see it coming. I'll say that much. <laughs> it's a fascinating technique. Just confuse your people into signing on the dotted line. And there's a little tiny office party, as, uh, as they all say yes to this. And then he gets attacked by a remote control car. Uh, and and his buddy's like, hey, how's it going? And uh, I can't remember what this scene accomplishes. Is this, <laughs> is this just before or just after the bit where, um, hang on, superfluous sex scene, craft fair. Oh, no, that was it. He talks about his car and he's like, well, my car is a hybrid car. To his buddy. Just, That's yeah. it. His, his mate is basically saying to him, if you want to impress a fashion model, yeah. you've got to get a Ferrari. And he says he doesn't want a Ferrari. I believe he actually says, she's my Ferrari. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Excuse me? And then he says, he's, he's really happy with his Mustang, which is, after all, a, a hybrid. hybrid. Do Mustang yes, make hybrids? I think he said a hybrid compatible or something. <laughs> yeah. His 1986 Mustang hybrid. Yeah. Hmm. Which you know, is, is a nice looking car, you know. But, um, yeah, there's a, I also missed out, there's a green screen disco at one point. Where they go out on a date and they sort of dance in front of a green screen and a disco is blurrily put in the background. Oh yeah, we're hanging out with my fam with our family, yeah. having ourselves a party. Yeah, and uh, Natalie's mom meets him, and that's when Natalie does her sex face. We're not really going into much detail. There's nothing to say. No. We are we are pretty much telling you everything that's in the film. It's it's not funny watching them say these boring things. It's just kind of that jaw dropping, flabbergasting. What am I watching? Feeling. Yeah. You know? Whenever we switch to a new scene, just imagine that there's also a scene of them driving there and parking the car. It <laughs> usually is. Yeah. They, they go to a local craft fair. Um, they drive to I the... believe craft and pumpkin fair. Let, let's be... Yes. No, pumpkin and craft fair. Forgive me. Yeah. Pumpkin, craft, and crafted pumpkin fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. People have either crafted pumpkins into things or crafted pumpkins out of things. <laughs> Um, so they drive to the beach and they spot on the beach a dead CGI bird. There's a really existential woman in the corner crafting pumpkins into smaller pumpkins. <laughs> Try my new micro pumpkin. <laughs> they go to the beach and they spot a CGI bird and it's like, oh, this poor thing's dead. And I'm like, that thing was never alive. It's... Jesus Christ. It's there. And they point to this, like, four polygons worth of bird. It's like something out of Crash Bandicoot, the original one. Oh. And it's the, stop, it may be infectious. Yeah, so might you, and she's hanging out with you. Nice. <laughs> uh, there you go, chat with Natalie's mom, who's just thrilled to meet Rod. Uh, then they go to... There's no tension! There is no, there is tension, no tension in this first 45 can I just, minutes! Can I just There's, add... No one way, disagrees on anything! Natalie's mum 
is awesome. Her performance is the most sincere thing in this. It's not the best. I think Natalie's it's actually the, the actress's mum. I think she's just being herself. Because when they talk yeah. to her about the things she likes to do with her retirement, that sounds like a snippet from a like documentary movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I loved watching Natalie's mom on screen because she seemed to actually want to be there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and almost I, again, I keep using the anti stuff, but she's like the anti Claudette, who doesn't <laughs> yes. seem to want to be anywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. And unlike Claudette, she is genuinely caring about her daughter, and um, you know, keen to see her succeed. Nowhere yeah. do you ever hear Natalie's mum saying, mm. "But darling, you can't look after yourself." Yeah, yeah. She's, she's supportive. Her name is the actress's name is Patsy von Ettinger, and she came off as a human being in a film filled with robots. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that was clearly made by a robot. Yeah. She and, uh, she is probably the person who sold the conceit of the movie that being a software salesman is the sexiest, most amazing job in the world. <laughs> the most, yeah. like like she heard, oh, he's a software salesman. <laughs> Well, you what? snare him quickly, sweetheart. <laughs> What's that smile all about? Yeah. Oh, come on. I see it all over your face. He's great, Mom. You know we went to the same high school? Is that right? How's modeling going? It's great, Mom. I got a job with Victoria's Secret. <gasps> no way! Yeah. Are you serious? And yeah. as if to hammer the robot point home, they then go to a restaurant, they drink and dance, and she does the robot, Nat- Natalie does. It's not done in a kind of a, now, look at, the, the, she does this dorky dance, like, isn't this hilarious scene? It's just that this actress is like, I gotta do something at this point, just to keep See, myself that, amused. If she can, and again, like with Miami Connection, when movies like this are made, a lot of the time they do seem to be a handful of weird skills that the cast happen to have mm. and they they throw them all in you mean like the guy could put stuff. a nail up his nose yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so you know maybe it comes out that what's her name whitney Moore, whitney Moore, yeah um is, is really, really can do good the at doing the robot but can't do any other dances right. and so you end up with this you know incredibly sexy fashion model woman who's you know recently been appointed to victoria's secret and they go out to dance, and the robot is all she can do. And he just stands there and smiles indulgently at her. Honestly, she's a, she's kind of adorable. Like I really like seeing her do the robot and, and just sort of lay her dignity on the line at this point. And, you know, she, she does have a lovely oh, smile. Oh, no. She does that later. <laughs> yeah. Very shortly. Like, they finish off the evening. Although, actually, slightly earlier... They go back to her place. She's walking around. She keeps smiling at him. And she's like sn- sn- uh, sniffing on a rose that he got her. And then they stop outside her door. She's like, well, this was nice. And uh, I'd really like to see you again. Gives him a nice chaste kiss. And he goes, okay. And How about now? Starts to go in and he goes, what, can I not come in? And she goes, no, not on the first date. I'm not that kind of girl. But I'll see you later. Dude. It's not like this is an unreadable situation. This she likes look. you. Stop pushing it. <laughs> She's kissed you. She's saying she wants to see you again. At this point, you don't need to go, what, don't I get to come in and do the... <laughs> no, no, sir, you don't. This is not a difficult sign to read. <laughs> Did she invite you in for coffee? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> The whole thing on Twitter about guys going, but how do we know? It's really simple. They tell you. Yes. <laughs> but you women, sometimes you say no, and you really mean yes. No, they mean no. 
Also, yeah. also, even if that were the case, and the vast, vast majority of the time it's not, but even if that were the case, if somebody says no when they really mean yes, if you respond with, okay, then I'll see you tomorrow, or something along those lines, and start to walk away, they're going to learn really fast that if they mean yes, they should probably say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or in this movie, they'll wait a good 30, 45 seconds and then run after you and pretend you just met up again. Yeah, hey, how's it going? That, yeah. How about now? We're on a, a next date now. That's almost charming. <laughs> I've seen that work in a movie once, but ultimately persistence is nowhere near as sexy as respect, guys. I know that everyone, all of our, our guy dudes listening probably already know that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, this whole myth that uh, movies have been telling you about persistence being great and women loving that, it's, it's kind of not really, not, not cool. <laughs> persistence in the sense of don't give up and if you don't hit on the right girl the first time, keep trying with different girls. Don't keep pushing it with the same person who's already said no six times. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this is a horrible, this is a horrible conversation. <laughs> oh, oh, hang on a minute before we move on. This was another one of my oh my god. He literally just sat down and watched the birds and then tried to replicate it as best he could. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go to see Natalie's mum, they're both wearing green. Yeah, they're walking up Natalie's mum's green garden. Yeah, it it really makes it difficult to see them. That's but that's. <laughs> from the birds Tippi Hedren is wearing a green suit and she walks around in green gardens and it's it is kind of difficult to see she kind of fades into the background a little bit Um, yeah but um, but yeah so it was like when I saw that Oh, God, he was trying for homage. No. Oh, God. He totally, totally was. It, it's it's like he's put the structure of the birds in this and then forgotten to put any of the character in. Yeah. After they've done the robot, uh, they go to a filthy motel to do the bad thing. And when I say filthy, uh, that's when she comes out in her blue bra and panties and goes, what do you think? And then he gets on the bed, she gets on top of him, and they sort of wriggle about a bit, a little. The camera slowly pans right to go over their feet, the soles of her feet are filthy. Filthy. And it just feels like she walked out to like to, to the, the, the bathroom to get changed into her underwear and then came back out and had trodden on this disgusting carpet to, to do that. Or maybe he made her walk across the parking lot like that or something. They may have been thrown out of their room for trashing the bed and had to move to a different motel on foot. But either way, um, she's, oh, yeah. yeah, this What do you a, think? Well, it looks great, but could you go get some ice? This is, <laughs> this is a grotty motel. It's been a while since I have actively dated, but is it frequent that you go on a date and then you go to a seedy motel to have sex with somebody that you're not paying? Yeah. Is that a thing? I don't think so. I think it's only because they couldn't film the bird bit in either one of their houses because that would be a public yeah. street and they had to do it in a ho- motel parking lot yeah i guess yeah, so. maybe or maybe just go to a friend like know a friend who has a house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I say that's rob's house here have a friend <laughs> I mean, you, like, actually, having speak honestly, like they're at Rod's house. I suppose no, it has to be a motel because otherwise Rod would be like, "You stay here," and then end of movie because they just stay in the house the whole time and have more yeah. sex and raid the fridge. They have to get out of this motel. 
but and go nowhere in particular. Mm. There has to be less appeal in staying than there is in leaving. That's why it had to be a bad motel. Yes. <laughs> it had to be yeah. a disgustingly filthy. filthy motel. Well, if we go out there, we could get killed by seagulls. Mm. If we stay in here, we're going to get eaten by cockroaches. But unlike, <laughs> like, if they were human beings, there'd be a scene afterwards where they're sort of lying in bed and he's like, she's like sort of, Rod, yeah. Are you awake? Yeah. This place is filthy. Can we go to mine? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, I'm too sleepy and drunk. sitting there like, we already paid for this seat for this motel room for the scene with the other two. Yeah, you're gonna have sex here. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Quick, yeah. take the imaginepeace.com down off the wall so that nobody realizes it's the same place. <laughs> we'll ne- they'll never tell. <laughs> Seamless transition. They told. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so precisely halfway through the movie at the 45-minute mark, it cuts to long, quiet shots of Half Moon Bay. Just like shots of the beach, quiet. Shots of a field, quiet. Shot of a gas station, quiet. And then total fucking carnage! This escalates so fast. (laughs) It's just sort of out of nowhere. The place is exploding of a sort. There's birds of a sort. Do not adjust your phones. I am playing you the scene. It is peaceful shots of a town. Uh, Nothing much is going on. But then suddenly... Yeah, that, that does sound like a spitfire. I'm going to cut the scene short because it goes on for 72 years. Hovering everywhere. But here's part of the problem, right? Because the the uncomfortable world, and I'm inverted commasing here because it's not uncomfortable at all, because the world that is set up for these characters is so monotonous mm. and and normal and, yeah. and it not even so boring as to be... That that's the the unpleasant thing about it. That mm. it's just too boring. It's just it's just normal stuff happening all the time. That we have no reason to be un- to be sympathetic to them when that's all shattered by the birds. If anything, we're sat there going, "Oh, thank Christ, something's happening." Mm. It's like that bit in uh, <laughs> Curse of the Golden Flower, and it's like, "Oh, thank God, ninjas turned up out of all of a sudden." Yeah. I was However, there were a hundred of them, so obviously they were shit. Yes, they were shit ninjas. Yeah. The rest of the film belongs to the birds, and they oh, and turn then Rod up. Rod gets that magnificent Shaun of the Dead moment where he looks out the window and goes, "They're still out there." <laughs> but it's not funny. It's no, not funny it's like not that. Funny like Shaun of the all. Dead has achieved already everything funny about this movie. The birds are accompanied by the most horrible grating noise, like this <laughs> sound. It's awful. It's so shocking. Repetitive. I will give them that. It's but, shocking like the first time. It's shocking <laughs> and horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> they barricade the motel. And terrible. I mean, that, that, does that count? They barricade that's, that's the mo- where that word comes from, right? They barricade the motel with a bed and then just go, I'm bored of this. Let's move to the next scene. They enlist the aid of two complete strangers in the next room. Uh, what are they called? Uh, Ramsey? 
Ramsey and, and I want to say Sarah. Sarah. Let's call them Ramsey and Sarah. Uh, how can we define <laughs> Ra- Sarah, for example? Uh, I forgot that Sarah existed until just this moment. She likes to poop in the wilderness. We know that. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a thing that Sarah likes to do. Uh, and Ramsey uh, is from the army, apparently. He was a marine. He was a marine. marine yeah. Okay. So ra- they go outside with their coat hangers, swipe at the birds that hover in front of them, and just like calmly fly there in their faces while they poke at them with hangers. And, you know, it, it's, it's hilarious in a kind of, <laughs> what idiot made this way? But, but when you've seen it once already, it's like, yeah, this is that scene. Yeah. And those <laughs> hangers are totally useless as weapons. And uh, also, Ramsey looks a bit like John Krasinski, so I got totally distracted by that for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like criticisms, but we're, we're criticising it on two levels. We're criticising it in terms of it being a proper film, and we're criticising it on it being a bad film. It's like not even entertaining as a bad film in this regard it's like because like now we're beginning a cyclical series of encounters where they then shoot the birds with ramsey's art arsenal and it's like that's most of the rest of the movie yeah it's i i have seen youtubers doing review shows that have had better effects than this film. Oh, yeah. If this was a video game, it would be one of those acid-flipping pieces of shit that Jim Sterling talks <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, uh, asset Z or whatever it was, one of those. Unity. Yeah. Unity, one of the Unity yes. Zs. Yeah. Um, when they, they, they drive around the place, they capping birds from their space wagon, I don't know whether they got permission. <laughs> I feel like James Nguyen was not a darling of the city in the way that uh, Y.K. Kim was. I, I, feel I, I like, suspect so. Yeah, I, I feel like he was less welcome there and probably caused quite a bit of trouble. Although, uh, if you watch the extras on the Blu-ray, there's a 27-minute uh, cable public access uh, show uh, where he talks to a woman who starts off the interview going now this is not Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds but it does feel quite like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds so tell us YK <laughs> since you're in the middle of making this film what is this film about well it's basically The Birds um <laughs> But this woman is on that bus that they get to later on. They, they, one of their encounters is the world's only video, double-decker video game bus, which is, as far as I can tell, a double-decker bus with two video games on it. It's a double-decker bus attacked by video games. Yeah. Oh, very good. But yeah, to assimilate it. He, he got his interviewer in, in a cameo, and she sort of shrieks, and then we'll, we'll get to that bit in a bit, uh, a minute, because they find two kids... And you noted this regarding the birds. There is a good reason why Hitchcock brings kids in with the birds. And what's that? It's because you are more afraid for children at this point than you are for adults. They're small. They are easily damaged. And it creates tension where if it was just a load of adults with broom handles, Mm. it would be less so. Yeah. So uh, Also, he got Veronica Cartwright, who can actually act. Yeah, a young Veronica yeah. Cartwright. Uh, but James Nguyen uh, just thought, I'll just get a couple of annoying kids. And he gets them in, and they are the worst. The worst kid actors ever. Uh. Okay, action. She went to the restroom. She's taking a shit. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, cut. I'll say again, this guy's use of sound is painful for me. It hurts to even include these clips. And it's fine, they're kids, they aren't expected to be good actors. And curse their parents who brought them along and said, yeah, my kids can act. These kids, though. <laughs> they, they make a point of being obnoxious little squirts. Yes. Oh, <laughs> good. I, I wanted... I, I frequently forgot about them, too, but when they were on screen, man, I just wanted them to shut up. I didn't necessarily want them to die. Just be quiet. Mm. Yeah. But, but you stay in the back and hush they up don't, now. They don't evoke a sense of, of vulnerability to the group. They do the opposite, because when they're driving desperately away from these, like, suicidally attacking seagulls, mm. and Natalie is looking nervously out of the back window, the kids <laughs> are sat there basically going, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> They kill the tension. Absolutely they do. Yeah. And also, they don't seem to be all that fussed about the fact that... I don't know whether they're brother and sister. It never really gets established. But it appears that both... All of their parents are dead. Both or all. They are brother and sister in the film. Okay. Well, it would appear that their parents were killed and they never mention that again. They never go, Jeez, our parents are dead and I still haven't had time to come to terms with it. James Nguyen does not treat them like people who would actually have worries. But then again, he doesn't treat adults like people no, who would have worries. he doesn't treat anyone like people. I mean, basically, this group that they're a part of is slowly whittled down to a nuclear family. So kind of, yeah. what does it matter if they lost their parents? They've clearly got two other ones. You've got new ones now. Mm. Yeah. And they're <laughs> a software salesman. Oh, no, he's, he's now owns his own business selling solar panels. I went to the stock market today. I did a business. And, yeah, and a well, Victoria's well. Secret fashion model. And who wouldn't want parents like that? Exactly. But so they, they get lectured by an old guy about global warming and birds. And one of the actual, like, one of the plus points, one of the few plus points of this film, uh, beyond the whole, like, the agenda of pushing global warming, which, you know, I agree with, although it does kind of make global warming seem a bit crap when you, like, as in awareness <laughs> of global warming seem crap yeah. when this is their representative. If you're going to make a solar panel propaganda movie, yeah. then make, make a it good, good. One. It's kind of yeah. like, I love Michael Jackson to pieces, but when he made Heal the World, it's such a drippy song, that, and I agree with its sentiments so wholeheartedly, but it's kind of like, I don't want to be in that club, and nobody does. And the only people who oh. want to be in that club are already in that club. So you've achieved nothing but make that club seem repellent. Cheers, Mike. When um, I was a kid, uh, we, uh, my class, we did that in sign language, that song, at, at like a mall. Oh. And that's about as that is about as drippy as you get. Is a bunch of like fourth graders doing heal the world in sign language in a mall. Again, that's a really great way to make sure that every single one of those fourth graders is like, you know, fuck the world after they get away from that. Like, just I, I now, like, I think I've done all my bit for the planet that I ever need to do. So uh, I think I'm done with it. But the one thing that is quite good about this film is that the people that they meet are eccentric enough. To be funny. Like, they they aren't particularly... Like, they're more fleshed-out characters than the, the lead characters, insofar as we at least know what motivates them. They're passionate about something. And the, I should be. I'm an ornithologist. Yeah. I'd like a pass to swim with Mushu, please. Well, you asked the right guy. I'm the whale biologist. Though, personally, I hate whales. Especially Mushu. 
So this old guy's like, hey, get away from here. There are birds here. And there are, by the way, so many times when they just go, oh, God, no birds around here. Let's just go walk. And then they walk way out in the open, totally exposed. And there's no reason why they should not get immediately eaten by birds. Mm -hmm. But they do it so many times that it kills any sense of that they might be attacked. And the fifth reason whales kill is for the sheer fun of it. Anything else? Yeah, you're lumpy and you smell awful. Hey, I calls them like I sees them. I'm a whale biologist. But yeah, they see this um, this global warming guy who lectures them for a bit. Then the spare girl goes off to poop in the bushes and gets killed in a second. She's just she's just like, okay, I'm just going to take off my pads. And then a bird flies down and kills her in half a second. Oh, crud. He ate my suit. The suit was ugly. Whale biologist. I was questioning whether did the bird kill her there or the bird was coming and looking like he was threatening Mm -hmm. and then Natalie shoots at him and it almost seemed like Natalie accidentally shot her. That would have been a better death. Like, watch (laughs) out, there's a bird. And then she shoots her and goes, oh my God. I just killed a woman and then has to deal with that for the rest of the movie. Because Natalie does not emotionally respond to this situation whatsoever. It would be a great statement on the firearms uh, industry and and, and the fact that people keep them there for safety and actually end up hurting each other. But I don't think James Nguyen knows how to make (laughs) a statement. Yeah. yeah, Natalie basically goes back and, um, the bird shot Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she's dead. Sarah's dead. Oh, my God, she was killed by a bird? Yes, that's what happened. <laughs> so Randy uh, is sad that his unnamed girlfriend he, was killed by a bird. He He's is he sad? Down, downcast? Uh, and then there's a, there's a shootout He's beside... He's a little more taciturn than he was before. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's time comes now, which is he rescues an interviewer and several other people from this video game bus where they've just been standing inside shouting seemingly the whole day, brings them outside, and then birds turn up and spit acid on them. <laughs> For the first and only time in the whole movie, <laughs> the birds shower them with what looks like urine. Like, <laughs> bucketfuls of yellow piss just what <laughs> rain down on these people, and they all go, no! And then they fall down slowly on the ground, all together as a foursome. And then the birds descend, and then they are dead. And that is it. And the woman behind them, who slumped against the bus, is squinting because the sun's in her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I just assumed that they were xenomorph birds, and that when they shot them, there was the blood. Uh, viewing on them in buckets. Again. Like, literally, it was just something on the other side of the camera throwing buckets of this yellow stuff at them. Again, cause and effect mean nothing in Birdemic. It is, it is not a world of logic. No. And, again, you know, I, I'm not all... Of, I, I would prefer, like, just a movie where you can suspend disbelief and just like, tells a really good story over a logical movie. But I'll take logic when it comes to just batshit nonsense, unless the batshit nonsense is funny. And yeah. that bit was kind of funny the first time. Less so yeah, the next yeah. time. You know, it's well, like it's, being told a joke again. You know, you're like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the difference between a Monty Python movie, which we know is surrealist humor walking into it. So, of course, everything yeah. stupid and nonsense that happens in it is part of the joke. Mm. And this, which is clearly trying to be an action drama horror film. Yeah. 
where surrealist nonsense is not supposed to be part of it. it really, no, it, it, there are times when they try to tell a joke. Apparently, they, buying gas for $100 scene, which comes next, is uh, uh, Nguyen's um, stab at the fact that, you know, if we, if we keep treating the environment this badly and mining it for fossil fuels, suddenly we're going to end up paying $100 for a gallon of gas. And that's hilarious. I was going to say, wait, wait, wait. how is that a joke? Well, he says it is on the commentary, so I w- I'm going to believe okay. him. Wait, was that was that the message there? Because I thought the message there was a gas station owner wants to get beaten up and have his have his gas stolen. Yeah, <laughs> it's martial law at this point. Yeah, I mean, if there's a disaster, and uh, again, we're in Florida. I've seen people price gouge during a hurricane, mm. and even then, we're talking ten, fifteen dollars a gallon price gouging here. Yeah, not ninety something dollars On of price of gouging. Yeah. That's a good way to just get somebody on the other side of the counter to jump over that counter, beat you up, if not kill you, and take the gas that they want. Kids, turn away and look at the candy for a moment. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, turn that generator off. It's totally overcutting my dialogue. <laughs> what? A hundred dollars? That's outrageous. Well, either you take it or leave it. You know, and I have only a few gallons left for me. It's rip-off. Fine. Right, so they they drive off and then they get gas jacked by a cowboy, and there's that shot again. You know, the, when the waitress was glaring down on him, and it's just the cowboy on his own in the middle, and um, then the cowboy sort of backs him up with a desert eagle, and then a bird flies by and goes yeah, and cuts the cowboy's throat, and he just falls to the ground dead. <clears throat> And Rod, in his infinite wisdom, backs away from the desert eagle discarded on the ground and the giant canister of gas that has been removed from his car. And rather than returning it to his car, they drive off, leaving weapon and gas on the ground. Is this a statement on the fact that things are getting so frantic they're leaving basic necessities behind? Or is it just sloppy filmmaking? A little from column A, a little from column B. Well, it can't be both. No, I suppose it, not. You know, either it's making did a statement... Did they do it on purpose or didn't they? The yeah. fact that the camera lingers on it for a little bit suggests that it is deliberate. Normally I would agree with you, Sharon, except the camera lingers on everything in this movie. Yeah. That's so true. Also, so true. it's hard except to tell. when it doesn't, when it cuts halfway through a sentence. <laughs> he doesn't have to take the gun with him because he's got infinite bullets cheat on anyway. True. Yeah. yeah. Then they go for a leisurely afternoon stroll in the woods. <laughs> They're in full-on picnic mode with these two kids. And they meet this weird Johnny Bark fellow who's like sort of just hanging out in the woods. And he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, birds are attacking us, and that's because of their environment endangered. And, uh, oh, what's that? A mountain lion? I gotta go. And they actually <laughs> bother to play the sound of a growling mountain lion. You live in the tree? Sure do. So, you're a tree hugger? Ah, you could put it that way. I love trees. They're my family. I look out for them and protect these precious redwoods. Damn global warming. It's the cause of dry climate and bark beetles and death of the trees and forest. I can protect these trees against greedy lumber companies and bad campers who start forest wildfires, but it's impossible for me to defend them against global warming. What's your name? I'm Tom Hill. I'm Rod, this is Natalie, Susan, and Tony. 
You can come with us. Oh, I can't. This is my home. I have to stay here to protect these trees from further harm. Enjoy and appreciate these trees while you can. In a few years, they'll be gone. I hear a mountain lion. I gotta get back to my house. You better get to your car. It was very nice meeting you. All right, this one actually bothers me a little bit, oh, yeah. and it's part of the dialogue. The little girl asks him, do you live in that house up there in the tree? He says, yes. So that makes you a tree hugger? No, that either makes you a tree liver, or you're just using, or he hugs, do you hug your home, kid? <laughs> you go up to your house and just grab onto a pylon, and what do you do at home? Is that the dumbest thing this kid says? That I think is so. the smartest thing that kid says. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that actually a tree house, or did they kind of superimpose a little house attached to the tree? It never looks real. It looks yeah, like a no. bird feeder, <laughs> which effectively his house then becomes. <laughs> <laughs> Assume it, it. Whatever is true is what took the least amount of work, clearly. Or yeah. money, yes, that's true. So uh, this is the point where, um, like, Rod's like, hey, I'm Rod, this is my girlfriend Natalie, these are two kids we picked up, and he points to the backs of these two children, gesturing with his handgun. Oh my god. Yep. <laughs> well, psh, well, there's one child that we picked up. <laughs> Whoops. And then the forest is, like, as they leave because of the mountain lion encroaching, the forest is on fire, <laughs> and they stare at it, and, like, this bad CG fire, and I mean, like, if you've ever seen Aquatine Hunger Force, when they set things on fire, it's like that. The very, very basic early 2000s effects that you might see spinning around and around in GeoCities. Oh. Yeah. Fire that somehow doesn't move. I, I, I love this fire. This fire just, like, stays right in place. Listen, Immobile Fire is claiming small portions of forests everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not though, because what's underneath it does not char or smoke or burn mm. in any way. I would far rather this movie looked crap than they actually burned trees. So I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, forest wildfire. Forest wild. They couldn't d- determine whether to use forest fire or wildfire. So I guess Rod settled on both. <laughs> is this just like a, a, a perfect example of a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? James Guillen finds out a couple of things about the environment and then kind of fudges it, it through his own filter. Through his own filter. He, he does, yes, I think you might be onto something there. Actually, he learns a little bit about environmental issues, a little, a little bit, bit about, about CGI, Hitchcock. a little bit about Hitchcock, and a little bit about Victoria's Secret, and then puts it all together. And this is the result. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, then- did you notice the one cut that it cut too early in there? I mean, several of them they do, but. Um, he cut in too early, so the actors are just standing on the trail, and then uh, Natalie like set, like chivies them along so that they're actually running now and jogging. Yeah, that like, makes... she said action, and then they're like, "All right, go!" But when they edited it, they edited it before he cli- before he said action. Uh... <laughs> yep that that seems about right. And they did 21 takes, and that was the best one. I feel like they did one take of everything in this film. Mm. <laughs> and just went, it'll do. Again, they, do were doing, they were filming only on the weekends for about seven months. Yeah. Imagine being manacled to that guy for seven months of your life. Uh, uh, for 14 well, it, weekends. 
the thing that would have helped, one super simple thing they could have done that would have helped this movie immensely, mm-hmm. film it at night. Yeah, well, it would have been it, more threatening that a, way. Yeah, yeah, get a flashlight for lighting. I mean, that's about the quality of this film, but it'll be something. Yeah. So basically, yeah, the Blair Witch Project, but with birds. Make it feel a... Pro, a yes, a, a, the Bird Witch Project. And also, like, <laughs> they could have done all kinds of stuff with sounds. Like, you don't have to show the birds, just their calls. So they're walking around and just like... And, like, change the sound of the bird calls. So that, like, you're like, hang on, is that a bird? Is that the wind? Something? Um, but instead, like, when the birds attack, they always attack in the same way and with the same sounds and are felled in exactly the same way yeah. with these infinite bullets. Uh-huh. And, of course, it's not... The thing that I find hilarious is it's not actually an eagle call anyway. No. Because eagles the... sound nothing like... It's a, that yeah, it's a red-tailed hawk. Like, oh, they usually yeah. use for eagle calls. Of course, yeah. It's the same way that um, uh, they they use uh, tiger sounds for those lion, like, rahs. That, like, the, yeah. the, the, the general... Like, because lions don't sound as good as tigers. And so yeah, actual of, lion growls are kind of crap. Yeah. It's just the way it is. They sound like they're grumbling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, I wonder what that mountain lion was. Yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder, um, you know, it, if they had filmed at night also, it would have covered the crap quality of their CGI. Even if you do show the birds, you know, if it's night and you can't see them very well, those might not have looked so bad. It would have looked more uncanny. Mm. The hovering ones would have looked bad, yeah. but, the sw- but the swing by from the left or the right ones probably could have been hidden decently well. Yeah, you could also just throw a stuffed bird across the screen at night. <laughs> That's fine. I'm fine with that. Just somebody's headwing toy. I've, I've got visions of them doing the mountain lion scene, by the way, by filming his cat coming over the top and then superimposing it Harryhausen style. I think it was it was James Nguyen's rumbly tummy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they then find imagined peace moribund. I think this is symbolic. This is May and um, yeah. Rod's twelve-year-old emotional friend. Yeah, they uh, they find uh, them in the car and like they've just been pecked to pieces with the windows wide open. I might add, they're not smashed. The birds didn't break in. They just kept the windows open and the birds flew in, attacked them, and then flew away. Brilliant. Um, the, and air, the air conditioning was obviously broken. And of what course. are they going to do? Drive around in the middle of whatever season this is. Open the window a crack? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she just sort of wakes up for a second and goes, uh, peace is dead, and then dies again. She doesn't say that, but that basically is what it means. It's meant (laughs) to be winter. Isn't it? Yeah, when, um... In Rod California, though, his... it's only a mild winter anyway. Well, yeah, but when Rod and his so friends are drops down to 58 degrees. Um, he says something about there's a, it, it's so hot at the moment. Yeah, a heat wave in winter. Global warming. Yeah. Global warming. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, now that you say that, I do remember that. It was the, it was the winter of discontent and birds. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was the winter with the shifty eyes. Yeah. Um, so they drive to the beach, and this is the last scene they go to. So it's, it's over now, folks. We're getting to the end. They go down, and they catch a fish, or rather the man catches a fish, while the kids play ball and pretend that nothing's happening. Uh, and um, Natalie finds some seaweed. And then Rod comes back and goes, caught a fish. And Natalie grins at him and goes, I found some seaweed. And then <laughs> they get there, what appears to be a battery-operated hot plate. 
And then they fill a basin with water, seawater, I'd imagine. Salt water, yeah. And seaweed, and the fish just chuck it in. And then, like, they're pulling this dis- just gross fish out, and the kids are like, oh, what a happy meal. And Rod says something less dramatic than, you'll get what you're given. See, it's true. <laughs> The old saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Give a woman a fish and she'll make you eat it with seaweed. Yeah. (laughs) I've had some seaweed. (coughs) Uh, But then the birds attack and hover and they shoot the gun. Again. And then the birds fly off. And that was it. And, and, And the birds fly off in the same way that I used to end my fights between Masters of the Universe, that it's tea time. The birds have decided it's tea time. They're done with their day of bird strike. Now they're going to go home. And then they the symbolic fly. birds showed up. Yeah. Because the doves showed up, and the doves, I guess, were all like, hey, guys, imagine peace. Of and course. the eagles and the vultures were like, ah. See, I would have thought that the imagine peace uh, duo were killed by a dove in a fit of irony. Yes. <laughs> it saw the t-shirt and went, I'm not having that. No more peace. I'm going to choke you with an olive branch. <laughs> How dare you ruin Yoko Ono's brand. Yeah. And so the birds fly off and these guys all go, oh, it's over. And then they walk to the beach and watch the birds in real time as the waves crash on the beach and the credits roll up. For another three days. <laughs> My God. And like I said, it's like the end of The Happening, where it just stops. There's nothing to make it stop. It just stops. Well, it was or like happening. the end of The Birds 2, Land's anymore. End. <laughs> See, I've not seen The Birds 2, and I've not seen Birdemic 2. What happens in either of them? Anyone, anyone know? Um, I have not seen Birdemic 2, but I remember watching The Birds 2 on like Cinemax late at night when I was a kid, and... It's basically the birds redone in a poor way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the very end, basically, they have a rowboat that they flipped over, and the birds are poking holes through the rowboat as they're under there trying to use it for, you know, shelter. Mm-hmm. And then they stop, and the rowboat's in the water, upside down, with holes in its roll credits. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, um, that's how you end the movie. And I believe I have not seen Birdemic 2, but I've seen a review of Birdemic 2. Uh, and it was basically a remake of Birdemic. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Apparently, like, it's it's got lots of references to the original movie, and, like, it's... Um... References to what? Remember that time Natalie came in in her underwear? Yeah. Remember yeah. that time? <laughs> They're both in it! <laughs> Apparently they've moved to Hollywood or something? Let's find out. Hold on. <laughs> Birdemic 2. See also The Birds 2, Land's End. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Birdemic 2, The Resurrection. Bill Thomas Favalu, an independent film director, discovers waitress Gloria Chelsea Turnbow in a Hollywood eatery and casts her in the read role of Kim in his new film Sunset Dreams, which is financed by his friend Rod. That's Rod from this film. A Silicon Valley entrepreneur and Rod's wife, Natalie, Whitney Moore. Shortly into production of Sunset Dreams, a toxic rain falls on Hollywood, which causes preserved killer birds and cavemen... I'll stop you there. Cavemen (laughs) to emerge from the La Brea tar pits and zombies to come to life in a nearby cemetery. Bill, Gloria, Rod and Natalie make their way around Hollywood with a dwindling band of survivors fighting off the various threats before the birds eventually cease attacking and fly away. Same ending. So, I mean, 
Like I've I've heard from people who like the original Birdemic. Ah, uh, don't worry, but don't bother seeing Birdemic Two: The Resurrection. It's not all that. If this is not all that, how <laughs> bad must this second one be? Oh. They did, however, get Patsy Van Essinger back as Natalie's mom. Hey, Yay. the best yeah. thing about this film, the most natural, real thing, <clears throat> lovable Patsy Patsy Van Essinger. Um, I, I kind of want to... If, if it's free, I'll watch that. Oh, 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 what? A tie-in video game was released in October 2012, started on April 16th. Chill.com exclusively offered the film via video on demand for 90 days before it was released on the services. It was released on DVD in October 2013. Nope. Did you say a tie-in video game was made? Yeah. Did I hear you correctly? It's going to have to suck. Yeah. It was called Birdemic, Shock and Terror. <laughs> right, um... Sharknado is a title related to Bodemic Shock and Terror. Sharknado 2, the second one. Sharknado The Fourth Awakens. Again, yeah. The Asylum are deeply cynical. Oh, Sharknado 3, oh hell no. The Asylum are deeply cynical. I hate them. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they have never produced something delightful. Uh, never. No. Uh, they, they only deal in, in garbage. Um. <sighs> It feels like this film, Birdemic, isn't quite at the asylum level because of the environmental message. And it doesn't have that cynical, let's just churn this out and get it picked up way. It really feels like he was trying to make a film. It's just that, you know, his reach far outshone his grasp. This, yeah. this doesn't feel like something that was done just to make as much money as possible. Yeah. Yeah, he clearly cared about something. It just, we just wasn't filmmaking. We just can't quite figure out what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't his actors, from the sounds of it. He didn't treat them fantastically well. No. But he he didn't do brilliantly with his fundraising for Birdemic 3, unfortunately. Did you see that? He, oh, no. Um, he had an Indiegogo project going. Yeah. Um, he was looking for something like $500,000, and he got 526 and then he Dollars. A, yeah, and then he did a Kickstarter <laughs> and set it at 200000 and ended up with, like, $200. Might I suggest $10,000? You made Birdemic 1 on that. Mm. See if you can make Birdemic 3 on that. Maybe learn a little along the way. I don't, I'm not the kind of person who doesn't like to see media made. I think there's enough room in the world for films to happen. The whole thing about, do we need another blah, blah, blah film? We don't need anything really we you know we need enrichment and we can seek that out in our own time we don't here's the thing you don't have to see everything that gets released no although i do still reserve the right to ask why on earth they remade point break oh god yeah <laughs> such a joyless pointless that was kind of a do we need no, nobody needs a point break remake when they're not trying we do need a point break remake where they go fully into the batshit mental side of it and and like kind of do a almost like a, a Lego movie parody of Point Break since Fast and the Furious is a is a great remake of Point Break as it is you know it's what a good yeah. remake get of Point Keanu Break back in the Gary Busey role and but have him do it like John Wick totally over the top too seriously yeah Ooh. nice yes I'm fine with Johnny Utah returning yeah um but yeah they um like I, I, I'd pretty much guarantee Birdemic's going to be more entertaining than watching the remake of Point Break. Mm. Uh, but like, what you know, if you've not seen it, watch it once. You'll be fully prepared for it. Um, don't spend much money on it. It doesn't seem like anyone is. Yeah, no, it's, and, it's and, not worth buying 
too much for you. Yeah. <laughs> Couple of bucks. No, and yeah. I, I'd imagine that. What did you say? The Rift Tracks did did one on it. Yeah, the Rift Tracks one was. They did a Rift Tracks live on it, and that was funny. That sure. was good. I. Um, it's. I think that's worth buying. Hmm. If you like Rift Tracks stuff, then you'll probably like that one. It's not their best live one, but it's certainly good. Got funded ten million dollars by Evergreen Capital. You said that might happen. Congratulations. Like I said, the um, at the beginning, just the fact that it exists, it makes it reference quality for how not to plan out a soundscape. Like I said, that more than anything else, the the editing is terrible, but the actual the way the sound works is it, like you can actually point to that and say, see here they were recording this shot, and then they were recording this shot at a different point, and that that's why the the sound is filtered in a different way, and you can see that it's wrong you can hear that it's wrong and it's like you can see the individual building blocks of how bad this film is so to that end it is actually of some use that's that, that's what my take home was this time so you had something to take away from it. i've got to have something god damn it the amount of time that this is uh, uh, taken up of our life and you know J- james paid us for a uh, a thorough review and i think I think we've we've given it as ba- about as good as we can give to Birdemic if we, you know, for not actually liking the film much at all. We we put a lot into this one. Yeah, we're not going to get a post-colonial interpretation yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah, no, because you can't read much into it because it's as confused as hell. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've we've tried our best with sort of estimating what they might be getting at. And uh, yeah, honestly, if if you guys uh, see a film that feels like okay, here's a, another Nano I want you guys to see if you can track down and watch because I think we're going to cover this at some point. Ninja Terminator. Ninja Terminator. Yeah. Okay. It, put that on my list here. It features a few ninjas and no Terminators. <laughs> <laughs> Not even one Terminator. We, the, we think, it implies one. Well, we think that the title is somebody who terminates ninjas. Maybe, yeah. But it's, it's, it's one of those films where you look for it on Wikipedia and it, you, you can't click on it. Nothing exists on it. Yeah. No one will tell us anything about the making of the film. That's how obscure this is. At least Birdemic has a page on it, you know? Yeah, I think I remember seeing the cover box when I used to work for, that, for Ninja Terminator when I used to work at Blockbuster. I think I remember that one. Yeah. Strictly speaking, maybe, I believe Gold... Like they- HR guy at the Ninja Academy? <laughs> it might be. He certainly looks like uh, a guy who um, stumbled in off the wrong continent 30 years too old to be a ninja. Mm-hmm. 
That could have been the name of the film, actually. 30 Years Too Old to Be a Ninja. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's the sequel to Ninja Dragon, or it could have been Dragon Ninja, and that Golden Ninja Warrior may be sort of uh, tied in there. It's from the same uh, studio. But Golden Ninja Warrior is really disgustingly sexist, so might might want to stay away from ah, that one. Okay, noted. But, uh, uh, you know, all of them have amusing bits, but Ninja Terminator is the best of all of these. And uh, that that's one uh, for you guys to watch. Uh, you guys got any uh, bad movie recommends? Not not in a NAR level. I think I think Miami Connection was our kind of our our one baby that mm. yeah that we absolutely adore and will watch forever. Yes, that was uh, a real find. So thank you, uh, f- thank you for um, uh, you introduced that to us, and then uh, shortly afterwards we were uh, you know commissioned to do it, and we we're like you know what. I think we could get a show out of this one. We weren't actually originally going to, but it just felt like, you know, we could we could probably do this one. And that was a, a show I'm really, really proud of. But there is a a big difference between YK Kim and James Nguyen. Yeah, it's Yeah. It's I, I wonder why we don't I mean, maybe YK Kim is the exception to this rule, but why so many of these are just made by jerks. Mm. Like, a jerk who insists on things being done badly because they think that that's how things should be done is a really good way to get an anar. A, a certain level of arrogance, yeah. I think, and self-delusion is required. Yeah. Arrogance, yeah. incompetence, self-delusion. In the case of YK Kim, it just felt like a uh, lack of... Um... Resistance. No. Uh, well, <laughs> lack of... <laughs> Lack of experience for the actual guy he got to, to, to make the film for him and for everyone else involved. But they've got this energy and like they, they really want to make it. And, and, and so they've got that. Friends through eternity, loyalty, honesty will stay together through thick or thin. Friends forever will be together. We're up top because we play to win. That powers the movie forwards. This doesn't have that energy. Birdemic doesn't. It's it's bird poo. What's your name, sweetie? Susan. Well, we're going to make this feel all better. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. 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 In the room, it's like everybody kept going out of just... <clears throat> grim fascination as to how this was going to turn out. That, yeah, that that uh, scans. That makes sense. I would the one I, I that that could be entertaining that I think may fall into Nanar levels is that what's that mix? Uh, San, the Santa the Mexican you know, the Mexican Santa Claus movie that uh, it has like Merlin in it and um, a horoscope and. Uh, Santa Claus lives in the clouds and eats cloud candy. It, it's pretty ridiculous. We uh, we, we no, watched it this Christmas. Through, was that MST3K or was that Rift Tracks? Both did it. I can't remember, but uh, that's how I was introduced to it. But it's a ridiculous like Mexican Santa Claus movie where he's fighting the devil. Is, and... is it 1959? Is this, this ancient film? 
Yes. Santa, yeah. Santa Claus versus Satan? Is that the one? Oh. No. no. Hang on. Uh, Santa Claus, sometimes known as Santa Claus versus the Devil, is a 1959 Mexican fantasy film directed by Rene Cordona. Yes, that's the one. Okay, okay. there, there so, yeah. Yeah, it is. Santa works <laughs> in outer space and does battle with a demon sent to Earth by Lucifer to ruin Christmas by killing Santa and make all the children of the Earth do evil. Hang on. Santa yeah. Claus, 1959 movie... On YouTube is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that one. You guys should watch that because yeah. that's that is every kind of what the fuck you could ever imagine. Yeah, the, extent, the extended uh, musical sequence of Santa Claus going over his enslaved children. Uh, he doesn't have elves. He has children from various countries that he makes perform in their countries or sometimes regions. Um, styles like musical styles and in their native costumes i think yeah i think was the word yeah uh so much of the text on there is the text on screen is in spanish um but it's of course all dubbed over into english so like santa's looking at a screen that's all in spanish but he's speaking in english for some reason uh, another one that we haven't yet seen, but I've earmarked, is a VHS tape that I once saw uh, in a video store when I was a kid called Raiders of the Lost Code. And oh. I remember distinctly the back of the box says the real adventure is just beginning. Uh, the clues, the mystery, the chase, the adventure, the secret, the code, and finally, the treasure. Raiders of Ooh. the Lost Code. And it's got these two busty newborn women who look pretty much exactly the same as the two girls out of uh, Sorceress. Uh, and like, it's got like these bikers on the back. And this movie, I believe they received a court injunction or something that made them not be called Raiders, which, by the way, the word Raiders looks exactly like Raiders in Raiders. <laughs> like, they're so fucking... They've got such gall. To, to do this, they call it also oh. Bimini Code uh, when, when they were forced oh. to rename it. So uh, there's a, a volcano erupting all over the butt of one of them. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, wait, and, wait, wait. I, I just thought of one. I just thought of one. Oh, yeah. Shockma. Shockma. Oh. With a K. S H O K M A? No, it's not, there's no. S H A K M A. Oh, that's it. Yeah. A. Genetically, or a, uh, like, no, not genetically, but a modified baboon who is made more angry <laughs> escapes and kills LARPers. <laughs> We're locked in a building. A modified baboon. You had me at modified baboon. It's got a McDowell in it. How? The world's most aggressive primate just got mad. <laughs> Okay. Rafiki's back. And he's, and he's pissed <laughs> off. Shakma movie. And it would appear that the whole thing is on YouTube as well. God bless YouTube for just having the, like, because that's the thing. This is what YouTube should be for. You know, like, not not solely, but, like, you should be able to get these old-ass movies onto YouTube because who the hell knows where, they, where the copyright rests with these things to make them easy yeah. and accessible for people to watch. No one wants to pay $18 for some DVD they pressed in 1987. Probably not a DVD in 87. Yeah. For some VHS tape because they never made it into a DVD. But getting it onto YouTube... That allows people to re-uncover these sort of relics from the past. Or you porn, it would appear. 
Yeah. It's the latest. Yeah. View porn is a good way of dodging <laughs> stuff, it would yeah. appear. Yeah. Oh, another one. And also porn. If you've never, <laughs> if you've never seen the movie Mr. Vampire, I think I'm. Is that the? Hang on, that's the Chinese one, isn't it? it yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's it is it's really really ridiculous, and I I don't think it's technically an NR. I think it's just a. I think it was just the Chinese film industry. Well, apparently, it's one of the most successful multi award winning Hong Kong pictures ever made, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> well, what what makes that one? so entertaining as far to my understanding is the terrible terrible english dubbing oh right which is just the most enthralling like adorable it's absolutely it's a very silly movie in general but it's the most adorably dubbed like this english is is it's it's fairly the dialogue actually makes a certain amount of sense but not at the same time it's it's amazing i have no idea if that one's available on youtube or not there's only a version with english subs so we don't get that wonderful dialogue. Oh. i'm so sorry um oh. although actually you've reminded me of another Dra- uh, vampire one dracula sovereign of the damned Ooh. this is uh, uh anime um, and uh, it's, I believe it was originally produced by Marvel Pictures, and it's got, like, devil-worshipping oh. cults in it. It's got Dracula <laughs> chowing down on a cheeseburger in a restaurant, lo- like, in his full cape, looking wrong. <laughs> um, and it's got a girl who falls in love with Dracula, and, again, more devil worship. And Dracula kind of looks more like Doctor Strange, actually. And uh, it's kind of a Dracula relationship drama. Dr. Dracula. Yeah. So if you we want a Dracula anime and uh and you uh you're done with Castlevania, that's the one to watch. Sovereign of the Damned. Sovereign I've got that one written down here. It's Okay. Okay. I have to look that one up because that sounds hilarious. My research on you disclosed that you were a master of martial arts, but I needed to test the level of your proficiency for myself in order to decide if you were qualified to be a vampire hunter. Huh? My theory is that if you start watching an anime at any given minute of that anime, it will say precisely those words. Oh, and while we're at it, just as a parting shot, I'm going to recommend the Generation X TV pilot. It's not exactly... I've seen that one. You've, yeah, okay, right. If you oh, were a fan yeah. of X-Men comics in the 90s, especially if you read Generation X, you may already be aware of this thing, but it... Ah, it'll make you appreciate Brian Singer's X-Men somewhat. Like, you know, it's... It, I, Brian Singer's X-Men still has a TV sensibility about it, but this is such a lower bar. It's disgusting. Oh. It's not in humans' level of bad for the time period, but... Yeah, yeah I suppose like the, the bar was pretty low at the time period, and in humans it's just so much worse than all of this other exemplary Marvel TV that folks have got out there. Oh, quite like in humans. I'm not a fan of Marvel TV, but other people are. With us, it's more that we don't like the tone of it than the yeah. level of competence. Yeah, yeah. You did like um, you did like Jessica Jones, yes. I love Jessica Jones. Okay, Jessica Jones and Luke Luke Cage, if I re- if I recall correctly. Uh, we never got Cage, through Luke Cage because we pulled back when yet another baddie proved how bad he was by murdering a man in cold blood and getting blood all over well, his business I think he suit. Beat him to death on the edge blood. of a desk. And I was just like, uh, yeah, we saw that in Daredevil. We saw that in Jessica Jones. Although it was actually death by a thousand cuts in that. And then apparently uh, David Wenham does it in Iron Fist as well. So it's like the obligatory businessman kills another 
person, business associate, in a horrible, bloody way to show that they're bad. I just I don't need to see that. I kept meaning to go back to Luke Cage, but I just never feel the time is right. You know, I just I don't think I want to watch something really grim, dark, and violent. It just never. I just never get in that mood. And if I do, I watch Logan. Mm. Fair. Yeah, fair. Now, if you actually want to see what I can do in spinning a thrilling survival yarn of my own, then check out my podcast series for The New Century Multiverse. Episode 1 of the latest audio drama launched this week. It is called Let Them Go, and it serves as an ideal window to my expansive alternate history world for newcomers, as well as a compelling character-driven tale for veterans. Here's a clip. The next field is even darker than the last, but William has an idea that the road is nearby. If he can get back there, he might find another human being, even at this hour, travelling down to the village, or perhaps the callous farmer who owns these wild acres. He dashes across the long grass and into the rustling copse at the eastern end of the field, crossing a small bridge over a stream. For a half-second, he considers veering off course through the shallow water to throw what is behind him off the scent, but he cannot see where the stream comes from or where it goes, and imagines how loose his footing will be down among the weeds. And Let Them Go will run for 15 weeks, so go to iTunes or wherever else you get podcasts and subscribe to the New Century Multiverse to get every episode as it is released. And the production of both New Century and School of Movies are supported by you guys on Patreon. A huge shout out to our special $15 supporters who get name checked every week. And they would be named Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, ooh, Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, and Lorraine Chisham. We swear that if we were holed up in a crummy motel room with any one of you, we would give you the best coat hangers to defend yourselves against avian attack. That was Birdemic, at least for a portion of our <laughs> We had to give you that little bit of extra bonus time, folks, so that you could actually go seek out better films. We, we hope we've done it uh, some level of justice, and uh, thank you guys so, so much for coming on. Where can folks find you? You can find us at sequentially-yours.com. Together we do uh, comic book movie reviews, um, but otherwise you'll also find deep dives into comic books themselves, uh, themes, um, storylines, you name it. And you can find me there. You can also find me mainly on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter quite often and as either Debbie Morse or Best at 8300. All right. We will be back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And birds out. <laughs> <laughs> and schools out. Okay. Ah! And we can. I suppose we can. We can finish on that. God.
think about um, the generations and to say we want to make it a better place for our children and our children's children so that they, 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 they know it's a better world for them and think they can make it a better place. There's a place in your heart And I know that it is love And this place be much brighter than tomorrow And if you really try You'll find there's no need to cry In this place you feel there's no hurt or sorrow There are ways to get there If you care enough for the living Make a little space, make a better place, heal the world, make it a better place, for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying, if you care enough for the living, make a better place for you.
ladies and gentlemen, presenting Mushu, the educated whale who thinks he's better than you.